Hello, and welcome to the Ranting Redneck Podcast. It's our eighth episode, and I'd like to thank everyone that's taken the time to listen to our show and let us know what you think, and we certainly appreciate it. There's a couple things I'd like to get into this evening. That The first being, on Friday, they released the results of the audit of the 2020 election in Maricopa County, Arizona, and there were a few irregularities found. The overview of it, there was 57,000 votes that are considered to be somewhat questionable. There was 23,000 mail-in ballots received from people that no longer live at the address on the mail-in ballot. There were 17,322 duplicate ballots. There were 2,382 people who voted in person that no longer live in the county. Now, this one I kind of a little bit hard to tell too much about that because, you know, it may have been people who hadn't had the opportunity yet to switch their voter registration. So that's probably the least alarming one. There were 2,081 voters that had already that had moved out of state. This one is also kind of the same deal, depending if they did not vote in another state. It's a little less concerning. But overall, 57,000 ballots were found that were questionable. And this should alarm everyone. It doesn't matter who you voted for, who you wanted to see win the election, what your politics are, this should alarm absolutely everyone because faith in loss of faith in our electoral process is a huge threat to this nation. You know, I, I've been through elections where the candidate that I preferred didn't win. I voted for whoever was running against Barack Obama twice. And yeah, that includes Mitt Romney. And I kind of wish there'd have been some other option there, but you know, I, my preferred candidate didn't win, but I looked and I said, okay, yeah, I don't care for the result, but I had faith in the process. And after 2020, I, I don't have that faith in the process. I don't look and say, well, you know, I didn't necessarily agree with the result, but that's what happened. I I look and I see, you know, that these swing states stopped counting votes all of a sudden. I see the massive ballot dumps at odd hours of the night that were 95% Joe Biden, that were 100% Joe Biden. And folks, I don't care where a precinct is located. No single presidential candidate statistically has any chance of getting 100% of the votes in a precinct. It's just not going to happen. There's going to be a mix of voters. Now, how that mix goes, and, you know, that that varies a lot by precinct. But, and, you know, they're, the mainstream media is pushing, well, they had their audit and it shows that Joe Biden won. It confirms that. And the thing of it being, 
anytime you have in one county more votes in question than a margin of victory in an entire state, that brings the results into question. You know, the the audit basically all this did was it was similar to a recount in that you it's hard to distinguish what what the use of the fraudulent balance ballots was how that shifted the balance of the election in that area you know finding proof of that ways to determine that then you have something that you can argue in a court of law that but as it stands you know unless you have some way to differentiate the use of those fraudulent ballots it's it's horrible it's disconcerting it's wrong but it's not exactly the smoking gun you know there's been all these pundits like steve bannon and you know that oh well this is it this it's over well it's a long ways from over you know there's a lot here to be concerned about i mean twenty-three thousand mail ballots from people that no longer live at the address folks that's that's simply ballot harvesting that's that's manufacturing votes. You know, that's the reason you saw, saw counting stopped because it was to the point that Democrats in this country knew, well, we need to come up with this many votes. So let's get to work on it. And we pretty much know in our heart that how these ghost ballots and, you know, duplicate ballots we know what the what the intention was we know what they were used for but what you know and what you can prove are two entirely different things you know there's a lot of times with law enforcement a police officer may know something is going on but you can't can't take intuition into court you have to have proof you have to have a way to to show beyond a reasonable doubt that that's what occurred and that's going to be the challenge here is finding a way you know the the electronic data in this deal was deleted the day before the ballots were turned over so there's not a way to go back and audit the electronic data from the voting machines this is if i understand correctly a violation of federal election law that states that all data from an election is to be kept for, I believe, a period of 22 months. And considering it hasn't been any, hasn't even been a year, then, you know, the deleting of the data is in violation of federal election law. And supposedly, you know how things go, but they're claiming they know who did it, but they're only, the only person they're going to disclose that data to is law enforcement. Well, if it's a federal law violation, law enforcement means the FBI, which means not a damn thing will happen. You know, we've we've certainly seen how political the FBI has become. You know, it used to be, well, it's the FBI. Something's going to get done. Now it's, well, it's the FBI, so we can count on not seeing Jack happen. You know, it, and like I said, this should be alarming to everyone. You know, it. It should absolutely scare everyone to know that our election process can be compromised. The the one thing that we should always want to be able to count on is having faith 
in the selection of our elected officials. And if you don't have faith in the selection of your elected officials, then you don't have faith in anything. You don't have faith in the laws that they create. You don't have faith in the processes that they're supposed to follow. You don't have faith in anything. Everything begins. This nation was the first nation on the face of the earth that at its inception, at its creation, placed the hands in the power of the people. You know, it the first nation that government derived their power from the consent of the governed. You know, before this, everyone had a king or everyone was ruled by the church. Everyone was ruled by an emperor. You know, the people had no power. The people were basically a non-entity that, except in cases of revolution, the people had no power. In this nation, at its founding, our founding fathers had the wisdom to put the power in the hands of the people and to make it clear that our elected officials governed by the consent of the governed. And if we don't know for sure that this country is giving that consent, we have no faith in those officials. We have no faith in, if you don't believe that your elected officials were legitimately elected, you're not going to have faith in them. You're not going to trust them. You're not going to trust the legislative process. You know, you're not going to, you're just not going to have faith in that. And that is, that is one of the worst things that can happen to a nation is for the populace to lose faith in the nation itself. So we'll see if anything comes of this. You know, there's a call to decertify the results of the election in the state of Arizona. And that's a bit of a legal gray area. You know, there's been, been two sides to that argument. People stating that the legislature absolutely has the power to decertify the election results, even after they've been certified and submitted. And there's a school that says, well, they can't change anything now. It's too late. I honestly can tell you, I don't know for sure. I think that a state legislature should have the power to decertify their election results. But I think a lot of things that aren't always correct. So we're going to have to ride this out and wait and see. And they're talking about, you know, a full forensic audit. And now they've got four counties in Texas that are going to be audited. And at the very least, I hope this enforces the need as, you know, the Department of Justice is trying to go after these states that have passed election integrity legislation. And, you know, the federal government's trying to basically pass this John Lewis Voting Rights Act or whatever the hell they call it, that is basically giving the federal government 100% control over all of the electoral process. And we'll have to see, you know, how this plays out. I, I hope that at the very least, this puts a credible argument in the hands of people defending these voter and election integrity laws that it gives them enough evidence they can show the court they can say hey look here's what happened when we had mass mail-in voting we didn't require in-person voting with id or certified verified absentee voting i'm hoping that at the very least that gives them credible evidence they can take in front of a court to compel the courts to uphold these election integrity laws because make no mistake the Democrats in this country are going to come after them. 
they don't want voter ID. They want to be able to make and manufacture whatever votes they need, be it through mail voting, be it through ballot harvesting, be it whatever, you know, they, they very much have the mentality that no matter what the means, the end justifies the means. And that is a horrible expression to use because that is basically saying we can do whatever we want as long as we get the result we want. And Folks, that's not how it works. We have processes in this country. We have laws. We have, you know, we have norms. We have the way things are done. And when you start violating those, that's what you do. You you remove your credibility in front of the populace. You undermine their confidence in our form of governance and our form of, you know, placing our officials in in office. So... Like I said, we're going to have to see how this plays out. There's a lot of moving parts to this. and But hopefully, if nothing else, it will cause some more states to do the same thing. And don't let anybody fool you. This doesn't mean Donald Trump's getting reinstated in office. This doesn't mean any of that. You know, they say, well, the courts can, can kill the election. And then that means any legislation and anything that's gone on during that time period is null and void. And it's not quite that much of an answer and it can it's just not there's we're in uncharted territory here folks we're we're in an area we have never been in before so there's no telling what's going to happen how those processes play out how long those processes take to play out whether or not the courts are willing to stand up and be counted because i don't have a whole lot of confidence in that anymore so we don't know yet but Hopefully something good will come of it. You know, it, it may be, you know, it just turns out to be nothing that it was just a waste of time and effort and money and nothing's going to change, but we can hope that that's not the case. It's, it's going to be an uphill battle in this country trying to secure our elections because we have people in power that know in a secure legitimate election, the odds are they don't remain in power. And that is, we have ruined politics in this country when when we made government a career, when we created a, well, allowed Congress to create a salary for themselves instead of when this country was founded, they were paid on a per diem basis while in session. Then they went home and ran their businesses. They farmed, they owned, they owned shops, they, and were subject, you know, their everyday life was affected by the weight of their decisions. And that caused Congress people in this country, you know, it was, it was meant to be, I'm going to go serve my country in Congress for a time. And they knew that any decision they make effect made affected their day-to-day life. And when we gave them a pension and a salary and medical care, and, you know, we turned that into a career, you, you created people like Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell and, you know, these people that spend 30, 40 years in government and it becomes a career. It becomes all about, I want to keep power. I want to win my next election. That's all they care about. They don't care what, what's best for their constituents, what's best for the country. It's what's best for my reelection effort. What's going to get me somebody's campaign contributions? What's going to buy me a few votes? How can I send a little pork barrel money to my district? You know, 
it became a career and that ruined this country. At that point, it was no longer the, bet- the for the betterment of the country. It was for the betterment of themselves. You know, you see people go into Congress and spend 30 years there. And when they went in, they were, you know, very few actual poor people get elected to government in this country. But they were certainly not, you know, not people that had nine-figure net worth. And then when they come out, they do. And, you know, they're, they're just so much wrong with the way that we we treat Congress now instead of they have forgotten that they work for us. You know, they think that we work for them and it's their job to rule. There's a difference between ruling and governing. Governing is enforcing the will of the people. Ruling is enforcing your will upon the people. And that's what government has become about in this country. It's become we can do what we want to and we'll, you know, do just enough to get a few votes to try to make sure we stay in office so we can keep that power. We can keep that prestige. You know, we can we can keep that grift going. We can keep the money flowing. We know that, you know, I'll have a big book deal that somebody will give me way too much of an advance on because I did a few things to help them out years ago. You know, there's, it should never have been a career. It should have been a service to your country that you performed for a period of time. And then you went back and you ran your business and you knew if you did something that hurt businesses, that you were going to suffer for it. You knew if you did something that hurt farmers, you were going to suffer for it. When you go to college, go to work on a congressional staff somewhere, then run for office, and then spend your entire life in government, you haven't you don't care what you decide because it doesn't affect you. You can exempt yourself. You you've never had to build anything. You've never had to work for anything. So you don't understand what your decisions, the weight of your decisions on the shoulders of Main Street America. If you've never had to build a business, you've never had to try to keep employees working. You've never had to try to make a living plowing the soil. You don't understand the gravity of your decisions and the way that they affect Main Street America, how the way they affect the guy that's on his tractor out there in that field. You don't understand how they affect the guy that invested everything he had in a small business only to have some stifling regulation come down the pike that, you know, he has to pay $15 an hour to his employees or, you know, some kind of ignorant shit like that. You don't understand that. There's a disconnect there that the gap just gets wider and wider and wider in that the more he, the more power the political elite in this country gain, the less they understand the effect of their decisions on Main Street America, and the less they care. You know, it's not going to affect me, so I don't really give a shit. And we've got to find some way to end that cycle. We've got to get term limits for these people. We we need to find a way to revoke salaries and go back to paying them on a per diem basis. Make them run a business. Make them build something. Make them own something. Make them understand the gravity of their decisions and the weight of their decisions on the shoulders of working Americans. Until that happens, it's not going to change. It's going to be, you know, the, the same old quid pro quo and laundering money through foreign aid and, you know, sending pork barrel projects back to your cut co- where your cousin can get a no bid contract to do government work. It's going to be that it's not going to change. It's going to be nothing but the world's biggest grift. And 
the only people that can change that, they're not going to restrict themselves. They're not going to pass term limits on themselves. We have to figure out a way to get candidates in there. We have to work on campaigning, getting primary opponents. We have to get candidates in there that maybe have a little bit of understanding of how limited the role of government should actually be in our day-to-day lives because they've come to think that they need to have a hold of little strings that are moving our arms and legs and just turn us into puppets. And, you know, they get to stay in power and they get to make money, launder money through foreign aid. They get to have insider trading information to get rich off of, you know, they, they don't consider themselves to be the public of this country. They are the ruling class and no free nation can, can survive having a ruling class that stays in power. We just can't. No nation on the face of the earth can do that. The other thing I kind of wanted to get into and briefly talk about was, you know, this, we've all been into a restaurant somewhere and seen something on the menu and they said, well, we don't have that because it hasn't been on our trucks or we haven't been able to get it or you know, gone somewhere and seen up, Hey, we're having trouble getting this and this and this, or gone into a store somewhere to get something that used to be a fairly common item and they don't have it. You ask them and they say, Hey, it's not been on our trucks. Well, one of the reasons for this is there has been such an increase in, you know, a lot of those goods are imported. A very large percentage of what we buy in this country today is imported. And bad as I hate to say it, that's just the way economies in the world work in 2021. But what we've seen is labor shortages trickling down. This in the past few weeks, there's been a backlog of container cargo container ships off the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach, which are the two busiest ports in this country. Those two ports between them handle about 40% of all container carried import products and about 30% of all container carried export products. To put that in some perspective, those two ports handle almost half of what comes in and almost a third of what goes out. And they haven't been able to unload ships as fast as they're coming in. They got hit by pandemic restrictions. They're getting hit by shortages of labor, qualified labor. You know, you can't go hire a guy from a fast food place and have him run a gantry crane to unload containers off a ship, move them around. You just, you can't, that's, that's skilled labor and pandemic restrictions. And one of the problems they've had, is moving things out of the ports. They've had trouble getting enough trucks, enough drivers, enough trailers, you know, and Long Beach has recently gone to running 24 hours a day, allowing you to pick cargo up 24 hours a day. Previously, it was 16 hours. And, you know, that may help some, but they also said that about 25% of available appointments to pick up cargo, go unused. So back to labor shortages, back to, we have a shortage of truck drivers. We have a shortage of, you know, qualified people running equipment. We, 
and it's starting to really cause some supply chain issues. And this is what you see when everyone's supply chain is as globalized as it is now. You see what happens at one port affects everything that happens in the country. You know, you go into, like I said, you go somewhere, hey, I need this. Well, we don't have it. You know, you, I know someone who has a, an engine being replaced in a vehicle that they're going to have to wait two months to get an engine put in. You know, it's, it's just ridiculous the amount of time it takes to get a lot of, a lot of durable goods in this country anymore. And at one point there were 73 ships waiting to unload. Now, when you factor in that one of those ships can literally have thousands of containers on it. You're talking about tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of containers. So hundreds and hundreds, well, literally millions of tons of cargo that's not being offloaded, that they're having to wait several days to be able to get unloaded. And that congestion is not going to get better because imported goods are not slowing down you know this the covid crisis crisis my ass um caused a massive in you know a huge buying spree by a lot of people in this country you know people buying durable items people trying to stock up on food stock up on paper goods canned goods a lot of which is imported stuff so all of a sudden here's this big huge influx of this stuff into the country and there's no change in infrastructure to try to accommodate that. And the Port of Los Angeles still isn't going to 24 hours. They claim they're going to take steps to improve efficiency. But you only have so many hours and, you know, they're open six, 16 hours. Well, that's only 16 hours. That other eight hours can make a big difference in the amount of cargo you're able to offload. And some of these container ships take a couple days to unload. Literally, like I said, it's thousands of containers and you can only have so much freight sitting around without having it go on trucks or you have no room to put anything. So we saw kind of a perfect storm created by this and a surge for de in demand for imported goods and at the same time created labor shortages that weren't allowing or still aren't allowing those goods to be unloaded in a timely manner so as that tri trickles down and runs down the, the stream you know the snowball down the hill well now you're going to the grocery store and you can't find this product or you're going to walmart or whatever retailer and you're not able to find things a lot of those things may be sitting in a container on a ship off the coast you know because well it's going to be four or five days before they can unload it well, then once they unload it, it has to go through a lot of that stuff's bonded, but it has to go through be approved by customs. It has to go on trucks. It has to go to a warehouse from that warehouse. It then has to be distributed to your local retailer. So what normally might take you a week to get all of a sudden you're looking at a month and that is not going to improve because we don't have the infrastructure to improve it. Extended hours will help, but if you don't have enough trucks there to carry everything out, it's not getting moved. 
you can't just snap your fingers and suddenly you have a whole new fleet of trucks. It just doesn't work that way. You can't snap your fingers and create drivers. You can't snap your fingers and create crane operators. You know, you can't snap your fingers and create more port space. There's there's not some kind of magic beans you can plant that are just going to fix this problem. We're going to see that go, and at some point, there's going to be things that it gets hard to find in this country. And it's kind of some predictive factors or, you know, things that are hard to find right now. But we don't know for sure how long that's going to last. We don't, for, don't know for sure what goods are going to be hard to find. We don't, we just don't know. There's so much uncertainty in all this right now that it's kind of scary. You know, what's going to happen a year from now? Is it going to be hard to get the groceries you need? A year from now, is it going to be another toilet paper famine? Is it going to be, you know, it's hard to find canned goods? We don't know where all this is going to end up. We just don't. And, you know, I would, I'm not going to tell everybody go out and hoard a bunch of stuff up. But if there's things that you're not seeing on store shelves, you may want to start kind of picking them up as targets of opportunity a little bit here and there. I would certainly encourage people, you know, with it getting difficult to find things and then some of the ignorant things that the Biden administration has done as far as slowing down, you know, foreign imports of ammunition and their push for gun control. I would certainly recommend people, you know, buy ammunition as you're able to and make sure that you keep a decent supply for everything you have and, you know, make sure you have ways that if you're not able to find it in the grocery store, you can go out and get it on your own. That's, far better for your family anyway. So, you know, we, this is another one of them things, and you hear me say this a lot, but I think it's true in a lot of situations. We're going to have to kind of just cross our fingers and watch how things go and see how this all plays out. But I certainly see where a lot of goods in this country could get very difficult to get if the surge in demand, there's not a surge in supply to meet the surge in demand. And Right now, our surge in supply is setting off the coast of California in the form of, you know, a million containers sitting on cargo ships. Well, not that many, but three quarters of a million containers sitting on cargo ships that they haven't been able to get in and offload. So, as I said, we'll just have to kind of see what happens here, but it'd be smart to kind of start stocking up on things a little bit, you know, things that you think there's a chance may get scarce, pick up a couple extras, kind of, kind of be where you can hunker down for a little while. If there's, you know, gets difficult to get critical supplies in this country, because the way our government's pushing things, it's going to get one, your purchasing power is absolutely falling apart and that's not going to get better. Two, they want more and more control. And one of the ways that you control people is if you can tr control their supply of food, food products and, you know, everyday needs. If, if you control the supply and the demand or the supply of that, the demand's always going to be there. Then you have another mechanism to control the population. And I certainly don't put that past anyone in our government to 
be looking to keep that control. And that includes the Republicans. We, we have kind of a uniparty in this country by and large that one of the people that one of the reasons people didn't like Donald Trump that are in government is because he upset the status quo and they're invested in the system. You know, they're, they're used to the, well, we all go on TV and we talk a little bit of shit and we don't get anything done. And then come election time, we'll, we'll pass a bill or two, you know, and we'll all kind of get our heads together and figure out what we can do that'll help us get reelected. And then they sit around for the next term and don't do SWAT. And so they're not going to try to do anything really to fix what's going on. They're just not, they're, they're going to let it go, going to let it play out and, they know that they'll be taken care of. You know, they're, they're the elites They're You're not going to see empty grocery stores and wealthy neighborhoods in Washington. You're just, you know, they're going to have what they need. So we need to be vigilant about this and watch and see how it plays out. You know, don't go out and just panic by every damn thing you can get your hands on because all that does is screws everybody else. We saw that in with the toilet paper famine of 2020, you know, people that, didn't shop a year ahead were suddenly going to get paper products and couldn't find them anywhere you know and nobody wants to have to go out and scoot across the grass because they don't have toilet paper that one it alarms the neighbors too the dog will get upset because that's kind of his little shtick you know so let's just watch and see how this plays out and hopefully they'll they'll figure out ways to be more efficient about this and get more done but I don't know if we see government get involved rarely ever do we see anything get any more efficient usually we see quite the opposite effect well that's basically what i've got for you this evening and i hope you enjoyed it well if you if you liked what you hear be sure to tell a friend and if you don't like what you hear be sure to tell me i can be reached on twitter at redneck ranch pod and rantingrednecktpod at gmail.com you can reach me on either of those uh, some of these platforms that we're available on allow you to leave comments uh, you feel free to do so I'd certainly enjoy that and like I said I may not agree with you but I'll sure listen to you because this is supposed to be hopefully a little informative and a little bit of fun and if I'm not doing that right I need to know well that's our show for this evening and we'll chat you up again here in a few days thanks for listening